0: And my Italian families were so big, and uh, when I got saved out here while well, I was in the Marine Corps, you know I realized I wasn't gonna. And I met my bride out here that we per- were, probably weren't going to move back to New Jersey, and so I realized I was going to have to give up a big family. But I got my family here. I got my family at Cross Point, and so God's blessed me abundantly uh, with friends. With family, and uh, Paul never took that for granted. Let me tell you this: you know, there were times that Paul had to go it alone. He was alone in Athens when he preached his Mars Hill speech in Acts seventeen. But then his buddies Timothy and Silas came to meet with him shortly after. Um, but for the most part, God saves us as individuals, but saves us into a community. And you know, we might someday you might get busted for preaching the gospel seems there's some indicators that we're moving in that direction. You might get stuck with solitary confinement. You're going to have to have a really big devotional life and all. If Paul got arrested for preaching, what makes me think, what makes us think that we're going to be exempt from that? And, um, you know, God sits in heaven, Psalms too. he laughs at the kings of the earth who mock him. Um, God's doing a lot of laughing right now. Okay? And, uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, I don't even know, I don't know if we appreciate our friends during the good times. When times get bad, you really, really need your friends. And Paul, even if Paul needed friends, who are we to not need friends? So, so you know, and, and it's not just two, I need friends, I need friends. The people around you need friends, okay? And as you look around this room, I'm not going to name any names, there's a few grouchy people out there, and uh, I might even be one of them. So, uh, so you, sometimes you've got to be a little forgiving and, uh, and gracious, but reach out and make friends. Paul never forgot his friends here. And, uh, and so he gives his final greetings and endorsements. Even Paul needed a team. He had a team of colleagues. And now verses 12 and 13, where we left off, he mentions Epaphras. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's from Colossus, okay? Letter to the Colossians, city of Colossus. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. You know, you want to be free? You've got to be a slave of Christ, okay? Everybody wants to be free of God. Well, that makes you a slave. You want to be free, you've got to be a slave of God. God knows best. God designed you for a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify him. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant, a slave of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, a great passion for them. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Aeropolis, which were two neighboring cities there. So Epaphras is from Colossus, and he had a pastor's heart. Pastor just means shepherd. He had a pastor's heart for the Colossians. He prayed fervently for them. He probably planted the church in Colossus. If you look back at Colossians 1, and verse 6, he talks about the gospel, and then in verse 7, Paul says as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So it seems like as the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, as he's preaching the gospel to all these Gentile cities, he didn't get to all the cities himself. Sometimes he trained guys, and then they went out a few cities away. And Epaphras apparently preached the gospel in Coloss, led people to Christ, planted churches, and then when he went to visit to help out Paul, he let them know how things were going in Coloss. Okay? So he may have been the guy who planted this church, okay? And uh, but he loved the churches of Colossus, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. That meant he had been to all those places, you know? Next uh this this Friday, we're going to be driving out to uh, Spokane. Pat's going to go with me, and uh, i got to preach out there. Oh, I've learned to love the people from Spokane. They're a lot different than uh, the uh, uh, western Washington people, and they, they enjoy their freedom and traditional values a lot more and stuff, and I've grown to love them. And So as I speak in different places, I get to know the people. But when you sp- spend enough time to plant churches and lead people to Christ, you never, ever forget them. And so Epaphras, boy, it'd be nice someday when uh, I get to heaven and, of course, I'm going to meet King Jesus and, and uh, maybe catch a few minutes with Paul, but I'd love to meet some of his uh, colleagues and Epaphras would be a good one there. And then in verse 14, he mentions Luke and, and Demas. Uh, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So these two guys were also with Paul. So Paul's there in prison, probably under house arrest, and these guys are coming in and visiting him, and Paul's telling him what needs to be done on this mission to the Gentiles, to the the non-Jewish Christians and all. And so Luke is the beloved physician. He's the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And remember, John Mark was mentioned earlier, Barnabas' cousin there, and uh, John Mark was the author of the Gospel of Mark. So, I mean, you got you got Paul who wrote thirteen of the New Testament books, and he's got two guys hanging out with him that wrote three more books. So, you got more than half of the New Testament just hanging out together, you know. And, and by hanging out, I don't mean just kind of kicking back. These these guys were working hard for God's kingdom, and um, this is history. This is real. People, people can mock. Powerful people can mock us. But this is true history, and these are real guys. And I can't wait to meet these guys. And, uh, but Luke was the beloved physician and author of Luke and Acts, and he greets the Colossians. He's with Paul, and then also a guy named Demas. He greets the Colossians. Now, look at, this is during Paul. Paul wrote Colossians during his first Roman imprisonment he eventually gets released, and it's his second Roman imprisonment in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and we'll be looking at chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and, uh, and Paul's telling Timothy in verses, verse 9 and then in verse 10, be diligent, be hardworking to come to me quickly. Paul's saying, I need you, Timothy, and he says, "For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for uh, Dalmatia." Now, I don't—I think Titus and Crescens just had to leave because Paul had work for them to do. Okay, but Demas, here, Paul speaking so highly of him in Colossians. And just another five or six years later, the guy forsook Paul and loved the present world and departed for Thessalonica. Uh, now keep in mind, now John Mark, by the way, is going to be with Paul in second, Timothy, and Paul says, send John Mark to me for he's useful to me. Well, John Mark had bailed out on the first missionary journey. So I'm hoping that Demas had a change of heart like John Mark got some more courage, and I'm hoping he didn't just depart the Lord for good. But there's a warning in there for us. You can be diligently serving King Jesus. You can be the right-hand man of the apostle to the Gentiles, and you could still fall. God called... King David, a man after his own heart. And he was just a couple bad decisions away from adultery and murder. This is why Paul told us in Philippians 3, if you're of the true circumcision, you put no confidence in the flesh. All our confidence has to be in Jesus. You know, when people hear about the little rules that me and my wife, we just kind of, my wife and I, we just came up with certain rules to safeguard our marriage some people think, boy, these guys, these two are legalistic. No, no, we're not legalistic, but we're also not stupid. You know? And, um, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe in your marriage, you, you think it's okay to go out to eat with a member of the opposite sex on a regular basis and befriend them. It's not for us. I mean, jo- Job said that he made a, a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a virgin. So I guess this guy was walking into walls. If a young ladies walked by, he'd look at his feet. They'd say, hi, Job. He'd say, hi, and then thud. And, uh, and uh, I'm telling you, I'd rather, I'd rather go to heaven with bumps on my head, okay, <laughs> than uh, then disobey the Lord. But, but none of us are safe. here. You know, Paul's saying, yeah, you know, one of my buddies and co-workers, Demas, greets you. In the second Roman imprisonment, he's going to bail out. He's going to wimp out. It's my prayer none of us will wimp out. Okay? I tell you, you know, guys ask me about ministry, like, you know, uh, obviously we're not the largest church in the world, uh, but I, I planted the church by the grace of God in 1988, and we're still going. Most churches that get planted don't even last a year, kind of like most businesses. And, um, and they asked me for my secret formula. I said, I don't have a secret formula. All I can tell you is faithfulness and perseverance. Be faithful moment by moment, day by day. Faithful to the Lord. Faithful to your spouse. Faithful to your, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be faithful day by day and persevere throughout the decades. You know, when I preached in Olympia bald-headed guy walked up to me with a mustache said i know you don't recognize me which i didn't because last time i'd seen him the guy had black curly hair he could have had a fro if he wanted and um but i didn't even know he was younger than me he was only like 18 he was teaching home bible studies and i attended a few of his studies back in 1981 the year i got saved and um He's named Tony Brooks. Well, now he's an elder at the Calvary Church, that I Chapel Church that I spoke at, and um, it brings me great joy. There's another guy, Jim Nardo. It brings me great joy to bump into brothers and sisters in the Lord who have been faithful to the Lord and persevered throughout the decades, but never feel safe and comfortable. And you walk with the Lord. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we need to love the Lord. We need to love to be in his presence. But that doesn't mean that you're going to feel comfortable in the presence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is still God, and you're not. Okay? And we do not play games with Jesus. We got to love him with an undying love, and we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and by not putting confidence in the flesh. See, if you don't, Satan will will try to prevent you from doing God's work. Satan would probably say, Demas, don't uh, don't go with Paul. He's in prison. He's in trouble. Don't 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 serve Paul and serve others and stuff like that. You know. But then, when you take that stand and you do the right thing. Then Satan switches to plan B. And that's like, okay, the guy's doing what God's called him to do. Now I'm going to give him some arrogance. I'm going to make him overconfident. I'm going to make him think, man, I'm good now. I'm really good, man. I just, you know, only we get to the point where we tell Jesus and the Holy Spirit, just stay on the sidelines. I got the ball, don't worry. I'll take care of things on my own. No, we put no confidence in the flesh. Don't be a Demas, okay? Some of us are John Marks. Some of us were doing good, and then we bombed when he left. Uh, Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, says, come on, we're going to bring my cousin back. And Paul's like, no way. And they're butting heads and this and that, but eventually John Mark, by the grace of God, the Lord picked him up, dusted him off, and he ended up writing the Gospel of John. Late in Paul's life, Paul, Paul greets him even here. He sends greetings from him. But late in his life, Paul could say, he's useful for me. The guy has proven himself. Our God, I, I praise God. Our God's the God of a second chance. He's the God of the now. He's not going to slam you for something you did ten years ago. Long, you know, if you you allow your past to still influence your parent, current life, uh, con- uh, conduct and character, yeah, then that is still an issue. But if you're forgiven and you're repentant of it, God's not going to hold that uh, against you. we got a God who forgives, but don't be a Demas. God's called you to serve by Paul's side, Then you serve by his side till the end. Somebody had to bury Paul's body and his head; they severed his head from his body, and um, and there were some guys that were still there with Paul till the end. And then they, most of those guys, eventually got killed preaching Jesus years later. Uh, but Demas later abandoned Paul during Paul's second Roman imprisonment. I hope he repented, and I hope hope he's in heaven, but we don't know. Okay, um, but you got to put your confidence in the Lord verse 15 Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphis and the church that is in his house. So Paul tells the Colossians to greet the brethren in Laodicea a near near city nearby city and to greet a guy named Nymphis and the church that meets in his house you know even Philemon when Paul writes to Philemon. To set free Onesimus, his slave, Philemon had a, house, a church in his house. Okay? You know, I've had pastors, when we were smaller than this, I've had pastors tell me, oh, you're, I go to them for advice, looking for a shoulder to cry on. They said, well, you're not really a church. You don't have enough people. Join my church and I'll give you your people as a Sunday school class or something. And I was like, man, are these guys even reading the Bible? Many of the early churches met in the houses. Things get real bad here. We're going to be like China. We're going to have to go underground. We're going to have to go back to meeting in the houses again. I hope, by the grace of God, that the elders are training up leaders within our flock. And uh, I'd recommend you go to two Bible studies during the week. You know, if you want to come to our ladies' Bible study or men's Bible study here, that'd be great. But I would try to go to a study, hopefully, with somebody in the church or somebody outside the church who's grounded in the Word that's walking distance. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say Americans are going to have access to gas until I come back. Okay? And with leaders like we got right now, you know, I mean, the, the guy's in the Oval Office right now. He, he stated he wants to eventually do away with fossil fuels. And people are like, oh, yeah, this guy wants to get me out of my car. I'll vote for him. And it's like, <laughs> what is wrong? What is wrong, people? And, uh, but whatever the case, uh, uh, the churches, they, ended up, they were met in the homes. The Jews, when they would open up a synagogue, you had to just have at least 10 heads of town, 10 households. So, I mean, the early churches were just patterned after that. They're just a few people in a household, and they'd start a church. So uh, now we're God blessed us with a building. You know, after thirty three years, after the thirty fourth year, God blessed us with a building. And it was all a grace, and um, but you know when I used to give a message like this in the uh, old beat up Chico Dome, the basketball court, or an old Grange Hall, and uh, it made a lot more sense. But now we've got, we got to remember, the church is the people, the called-out assembly. The church is not uh, the building. And uh, But Paul tells the Colossians to greet the brethren in Laodicea. Then in verses 16 to 18, there's some final exhortations and blessing. Look at verse 16. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. That you likewise, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So what's going on here? So Paul told the Colossians, yeah, read this letter in, in your church, in your assembly. Get the people together. You're reading from the Old Testament scriptures. That's our Bible. Now I'm writing you a letter. It's got apostolic authority, no heresy. It's in agreement with previous revelation. So you have new scripture in this letter. Read it from your pulpit, but then share it Uh, send a copy to be read in Laodicea, okay? And then the Colossians were to read Paul's letter to the Laodiceans. Well, we've never seen Paul's letter to the Laodiceans, or maybe we have. But there's no letter, Paul's letter to the Laodiceans in the Bible. Is this letter lost because it's not in the Bible? Well, some think that the letter to the Laodiceans may have been an encyclical letter. That certain letters Paul wrote, he decided, I'm not going to get too personal in this letter because I want it to be read in several churches. And, uh, and so some actually think it's the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians written around the same time uh, because there have been copies of it found where it did not have, it was left blank, who it was written to. And so there may have been copies of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and one of those blanks may have been filled in to the Laodiceans or whatever. And, but Paul's wanting these to be read. That's, how, that's what, where we got canonization. That's how we recognize new books being added to the canon. The first Bible of the, of the early church was the Old Testament. But then as apostles wrote letters to the churches, the Spirit of God moved within those assemblies to know for the people to know, should we make copies of this and send them to the other churches? And then once they were widely read in the other churches, people understood these have the same level of authority as the Old Testament. As C.S. Lewis would say, Aslan is on the move. The God of Israel is at it again. He's writing again after 400 years of not writing He's at it again. He's writing again. And um, and so the Holy Spirit moved within the church to recognize which books needed to be added uh, to the Bible. And um, uh, so that's verse 16. verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So he encouraged Archippus to fulfill his God-given ministry. Archippus is some guy in Colossus. Now look at Philemon. Philemon is a one-chapter letter to the slave owner where Paul said, look, I led you to Christ. Your slave Onesimus ran away. He met me in Rome. I led him to Christ. Roman law says, I've got to send them back to you. I'm sending them back to you. But I'm asking you, do me a favor, set him free and send him to me because even though you call him Onesimus useless, he's useful for me. This was one of the key books of the Bible that the abolitionists in America used to oppose slavery and to abolish slavery. Uh, but look at Philemon, it says, Paul, is starting right at the very first verse there, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Athia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So church met in Philemon's house, but Archippus is called our fellow soldier. Okay? So here's this spiritual warrior named Archippus, now back in in Colossians here. Uh, Paul says, look, you got a guy over there in Colossus, name Archippus and uh, I want him to take heed the ministry which he's received in the Lord that he may fulfill it I got a question for each and everybody here Are you an, an Archippus Are you somebody that God has given a ministry And you haven't fully stepped out to start fulfilling it. Okay? Remember the pastor, it is not the pastor's job or the pastoral staff's job to do the ministry, to do the work that God has called us to do. It's the pastor and the leadership's job to equip you, to equip the saints for service. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a few archipuses out there. Now, granted, when I got the call to preach, when I when I realized God has called me to preach, okay, I still had to work ten years in law enforcement, get my school in, and get to that point where I could, you know, plant a church and and move on and do what God's called me to do. So it does God and not just call you and then say, okay, He calls you to some kind of mission work the second you get saved, but there might be a ministry that's going to take years of preparation. Uh, but all I know is there's probably somebody in this room, maybe a few of you, that you're an archipus. You're a warrior for the Lord. You love the Lord. And God has equipped you and gifted you for service. And you're not being all that God called you to be. What's, what's stopping you? You know what's stopping me? When I, I was a new believer and I enrolled in Bible College, Liberty University, and I thought, well, God would never call me to preach because, you know, I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey. You know, I knew how to box. I was in the Marine Corps. After I got out of the Marine Corps, I'm only qualified to be in law enforcement or security. So he got a job at the sub-base, the civilian, it was Pan Am back then. And, uh, and I thought I was so selfish because here is my wife and my daughter and I enrolled in Bible college. And um, I thought, what a selfish thing to do because God wouldn't call me. God, why would God call me? There's probably some kid who grew up in a church, never cursed a day in his life, Never hit somebody, okay. Never got drunk, you know. Fill in the blanks. And um, why would God call me? I just like you know. I just like hey, you know. Uh, I was just some trash from Jersey that got saved. You might say, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. Hey, look, we're all trash. <laughs> we were created in God's image, but we, we've earned hell, okay. And last I heard, you take trash and you you put it in a pile and you burn it. And uh, so I'm not like, you know, being super humble. I'm just being super honest, okay? I was trash from Jersey who got saved. And it's like, why would God use me to preach? But then H.L. Wilmington from Liberty University told a story when Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British preacher, got done preaching a message. And a young guy walked up to him and said uh, Spurgeon had his back to him. And the young guy said, I think God's called me to preach. But I'm not sure. How can I be sure? And Spurgeon turned around and faced the guy, the young guy, and said, Son, if you can be happy in any other job on earth, God hasn't called you to preach. And here I was in law enforcement. I was leading the department and writing tickets at the time. Um, I was doing a good job in investigations and all. I received Employee of the quarter awards and things like that. and uh, But I hated my job. It was like, you know, hey, if this is what I got to do to pay my bills and pay my tuition, then you know, so be it. And uh, But once I heard that Spurgeon said that, I realized I'm actually not a sinful guy because I thought I was lazy because all I wanted to do was study the Bible and teach others. I didn't want to do... Real work, that's fun stuff. I didn't want to do real work. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. Maybe God put that desire there. Okay? So maybe some of you are sitting out there. I don't know what Archippus' problem was, but the dude had a problem. And it might have been, oh, why would God use me? Look at all the rotten things I did. Well, if God saved you and transformed you, your life is a sermon. Okay, and so maybe that's it. Maybe you just think, well, no, I'm not. Let me tell you, Moses made excuses. Moses told God, "Well, I'm not an eloquent man. I'm not a good speaker." And God said, "Your brother Aaron is. So you'll be you'll represent God to Pharaoh, and your mouthpiece, your prophet, will be your brother Aaron." You got a whole chapter of Moses giving excuses why he's not the guy, okay? Maybe we got a few archibuses out here who need to stop making excuses, and you need to be all that God called you to be and all that God equipped you to be, okay and um, um, but that was the problem with this this archipist guy. Uh, He had to be encouraged to fulfill his God-given ministry. Paul had encouraged Timothy. Sometimes it's because guys are real young. Who would listen to me? I'm only 22 years old. And I'm supposed to pastor and disciple 50-year-old guys? Sometimes, yes. Um, Our pastoral staff doesn't have that problem anymore. We're, We're usually older than the people we minister to now at this point in our in our ministries. Um, but, uh, but whatever the case, Archippus needed encouragement to fulfill his God-given ministry. And then verse 18, which closes the book of Colossians, this salutation, this closing by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Um, he says goodbye in his own handwriting. See, Paul had scribes. So sometimes he mentions the name of the scribes. Paul's a pretty important dude. So he could just stand there or sit, and he just dictates and the scribes write. But then just to show them it's from him, uh, he writes in his own handwriting. It could be because he wanted to just show them he loved them, and he gave it that personal touch. Or it could be that there were, he says in uh, 2 Thessalonians, that there were letters, forged letters, Claiming to have been written by him and the apostles, so maybe his own handwriting would explain it. Some think he also had bad vision from getting beat up on uh, before he wrote the letter to the Galatians because he said how big the letters are. see how big the letters are in that writing but just keep in mind he's got he's got scribes and uh, but he tells them uh, to remember my chains. Remember his imprisonment. Uh, you know, when you're alone and in prison, it's great to be remembered. Remember the thief on a cross? Thief on a cross, he, he's mocking Jesus with the other guy, according to the other gospels. And then, and then towards the end, he thought, wait, why am I mocking this guy? And then he told the other guy mocking Jesus, he said, he basically just, I'm paraphrasing, he said, hey, dude, shut up. We deserve to die. This guy has done nothing wrong. We deserve to die. And then he said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Oh, it's good to be remembered. Did you know Jackie Gleason? How many people as old as me? Who knows who Jackie Gleason is? Okay, good. There's a few of you that are lying because uh, um, you got gray hair. You should know who Jackie Gleason is. They interviewed him, and they asked him, how do you want to be remembered? You know how he replied? He said, oh, I just want to be remembered. Be remembered is pretty good. I mean, you know, God became a man, he wants to be remembered. He said, you take the broken bread, which represents my body broken for you. You drink, drink of the fruit of the vine, which represents my blood shed for you. When you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Okay, and uh, so we remember Jesus. 2,000 years later, we still celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the world could laugh. I could care less if uh, the Portuguese guy that's the Secretary General of the UN, I could care less if he thinks it's a joke. I could care less if President Biden thinks it's a joke. I could care less if Bill Gates thinks it's a joke, or George Soros. As for me and my house, we're going to break bread. We're going to eat of the, drink of the fruit of the vine, because we're going to remember Jesus' body broken for us, and blood shed for us, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will remember the Lord. But, Paul tells us, don't just remember the Lord, remember your brothers and sisters in Christ. I feel bad I got a word with Robert. I can't, I'm not vaccinated, okay? I don't want Anthony Fauci giving me medical advice, okay? He's Italian, the compliments stop there. Um, uh, I wouldn't mind boxing him, he's right around the size and age of a guy I'd like to box, but, uh, but um, and I, so I found out I can't, I can't visit him, okay? So whatever the case, um, it's one of those deals. We need to visit those who are in prison. We need to reach out to those who are hurting. Okay? And um, and so Paul tells us to remember him in his chains. Now, he's in his chains. He's suffering. Yet, what does he wish for us? Does he say, I wish you could suffer like I'm suffering? No, he wishes Grace upon the people okay he wishes grace upon us God's unmerited favor and blessing he wishes that that these would be with us and so Paul Paul's saying look I'm suffering I'm battered and beaten they're going to kill me eventually and uh but I wish on you grace you know, when, when, when I meet people out in town, I say, God bless you and be safe. Because I want them to have God's grace. Okay? We need to care for others. We need to love others. And, um, and so this closes the book of Colossians. But in conclusion, there's some lessons that we can learn from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Remember Paul told us if you want to write this down to Colossians 1, 15 to 18, Colossians 1, 15 to 18, and Colossians 2, 8 to 10 are very key passages that really give you the thrust of Paul's letter to the Colossians, where Paul says that Jesus is the image. In fact, let me read that. Colossians 1, 15 to 18, he is the image of the invisible God, So, since he is God incarnate, God become a man, he's the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn ruler over all creation. Why? Because by him all things were created. Things that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So Jesus is God. He is our God. He created us. He sustains us in existence. He redeemed us. He's not just the ruler over creation, all of creation. He's also the head of the church. The Bible commands me to be a good citizen, so I pay my taxes. I respect my government leaders and all. But ultimately, my submission to God is greater than my submission to man. And Christ is the ruler over all creation. He's the head of the church. Uh, Do not, if you learn anything from Colossians, do not demote Jesus. Some people want to demote him to be in one of the Space Brothers. Okay, don't demote Jesus. Jesus is not a local deity. Now, there were a lot of false local gods, false local deities, when God selected Abraham and from him miraculously brought um, his son Isaac and then his grandson Jacob and then his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. But the God of Israel made it clear. I, Yahweh, the I am who I am, the eternal God who is in covenant with the nation of Israel, I, the God of Israel, am Elohim, who created the heavens and the earth. So the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not a local deity. So don't take Jesus and make him a local deity. Don't demote Jesus, one God among many gods. Okay, And we've got to tell the world, as the world tries to stamp out Christianity and says that your Christian beliefs aren't welcome here, Hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You think you got to lock up Phil Fernandez or John McCarthy? You do what you got to do, but we got to do what we know God called us to do. We got to preach Jesus until he comes back. And, um, and so I, I think that when you look at the book of Colossians, our message should be to others you know, we love you, we care about you. But my God's bigger than your God. My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God takes second place to no one. Uh, one of the passage Colossians two eight to ten. One of the main reasons why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians because of false teachers. He says, "Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man." according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So any wisdom of man that contradicts God's word, that contradicts Jesus, okay, we are to reject. And the reason for that is, for in him, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's saying that Jesus, although he has fully become a man, he is also fully God the second person of the Trinity, and then he says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We are complete in Christ. We should be content with Christ. We don't need more than Jesus. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but they think they need something more than Jesus. Okay? And I'm not saying don't read books written by other authors. If they help you in your walk for the Lord, great. Great. Even I read non-Christian, even anti-Christian books. I have to learn those to know how to refute them, how to prove them false. But I have to be satisfied with Jesus. We are complete in Christ. We should be content with Christ. We don't need more than Jesus. We're told that Jesus is our wisdom. We don't need the world's false wisdom. We're told do not be deceived by the basic principles of the world. There's some people who say, no, uh, we evolved, there's no God, we got here by chance. That's not what the Bible teaches. Don't be deceived by the basic principles of the world. Don't put yourself under the rules and regulations of the Old Testament law, Paul says. The Old Testament diet, the ceremonial aspects of the law. No, that Christ fulfilled that. Don't put yourself under Gnostic Mystical rules, like New Age type teachings. We're told here the old you is dead. The new you is alive in Christ. We've got to remind ourselves, you're not who you used to be. Okay? Jesus has transformed you. He has changed your life. You don't need to act like who you used to be. You used to be a slave to sin. If you're a believer, Paul now says in Romans six, you are a slave to righteousness so start acting that way okay' he says, oh sin is so powerful and I can't say no and God's word says no one of the fruit of the spirit self-control you can say no we're not going to none of us is perfect, but the fact is each and every time we sin we don't have an excuse for sin each time you know God the passage on temptation, First Corinthians ten thirteen, it says God is faithful. So when we sin, who's not faithful? God? No, no, God's faithful. You are unfaithful. Okay, and um, you know when, when we when we sin, it, it's like somebody starving to death sitting on his kitchen floor with his back against the full refrigerator. God's given us everything we need to live the overcoming life. Okay, and. Um, So the old you is dead. That's the problem why we sin. We're just not fully convinced. In God's word, you know, I'm not fully convinced. You're not fully convinced that the old you is dead. And now the new you is alive in Christ. So Paul says, put on the new man. Put to death the old man. Let Jesus change you. Let him change your home, your family life, we were told. Okay? And, and your work relationships. Be a good worker and a good boss. Paul tells us to pray fervently for fellow Christians and the preaching of the gospel and graciously share and defend the gospel and to build strong relationships with Christian colleagues. I'm telling you, if, you got, if you're not in solitary confinement for preaching Jesus, find yourself a team. Be a member of a team. I'm, I'm on a big team here, okay? Get colleagues to come alongside you. Don't don't be a lone ranger unless you have to be a lone ranger. Okay? And uh, uh, build strong relationships with Christian colleagues. Graciously share and defend the gospel. Speak the truth in love and be willing to answer people's objections. Even if people call you names. Even if they're going to call you names, you preach Jesus. Okay? He died for us. The least we can do is to live for him. Um, and then remember and visit those who are alone and feel abandoned. That's one of the things I really don't like about this COVID thing. A pastor needs a, almost needs an act from Congress to go visit people in the hospital anymore. In fact, with my wife, I couldn't, my grandson and daughter couldn't even visit her because they only allow one visitor per day. And if I, if I visited my wife for one hour and then left, my daughter couldn't go in and visit her. She'd have to wait till the next day, and um, so it was kind of like, okay, well I'm going to visit her. Let me see if I could visit her for 10 hours then, so she's not alone. but're um, but we're, we're supposed to uh, try to remember and visit those who are alone and feel abandoned. and then um, final point here you'll find this in all of Paul's um, letters remember that godly living must be built upon true Bible beliefs and true Bible doctrine the idea that you're going to be a real godly Christian and live a godly life and you don't study the Bible that's unheard of you could be going blind you could still study the Bible nowadays and listen to the listen to the Bible um, on your smartphone. But our godly living has to be based upon the true beliefs taught in the Bible. And so because in Jesus all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form, we need to worship Jesus. We need to trust Jesus for salvation. We need to trust Jesus for daily living. We need to obey Jesus He's the ruler over all creation. I don't care what globalist billionaires think. Jesus is the ruler over all creation. He is the head of the church and he is going to come back to make things right upon the earth. He will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. So I thank God for the book, Paul's letter to the Colossians, to Jesus, be all the glory in the church. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and, uh, but we know we need to love you more. We, we get deceived so much nowadays, Lord, by fake news, and it comes from everywhere. It did not come just from the media and the internet. It, it even comes from pulpits in our country. And so help us to embrace the good news and your word and see through the deceitful lies of the evil one that is in the fake news today. And as our our government and our culture gets more and more anti-Christian and likes us less, may you empower us to love them more. You tell us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to love those who persecute us and we are to pray for them. And so I, I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to love and pray even for leaders who want to stamp out Christianity. Even for our neighbors who may not like Christians. We pray, Lord, for our our country. We pray for the world. But uh, even more than that, Lord, we pray for the church. Let the church be the church. If a time of suffering and persecution has come, then help us, Lord, to be bold enough and courageous enough to speak the truth in love even if it costs us our careers, our families, our freedoms, and our lives. But uh, may we heed the warnings you've given us in the book of Colossians and help equip us, Lord, empower us to be all that you called us to be until that day when your son, King Jesus takes a stand upon the world to make things right Jesus precious name we pray amen all right God bless you everybody and and have a good day don't forget about the Bible studies throughout the week